0: When you talk about what homeschool means, I think some people have this kind of foreign concept, but you know, I was talking to somebody at work. They said, Well, how do you teach, you know, some of those things? I said, Well, it's really easy. It's part of it's life lessons that kind of turn into lessons. And and those are the ones that you keep. My son and I went through an example and we did what I called homestead math. If a bag of feed costs this much and we sell eggs for this much, how many of those would I need to sell? How would I need to price that in order for us to not just break even but make money? You know, for a high schooler or even an elementary school, that's like a master's class for them in how to do finance because it means something to them. They can see it. And so that those arbitrary uh, constructs don't aren't something that they're having a hard time understanding. They really get it when it's like, oh wow, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't make any money that way. That's not good, right? I get that won't work.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to Harway Farms. We are so glad that you are here with us today. And today is an awesome special day. <laughs> we are gonna talk with some new friends, Patrick and Amanda over at Purpose Driven Homestead. And uh, yeah, it's always fun to get to know new people and that's what we're doing today um, and making new friends one of our uh, passions and uh, visions here at heartway farms and it's our little tagline we uh, you know we have heartway farms family community and hope Mm -hmm. and our our hope and our, our desire is to grow your family unit keep it strong yes build community
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to inspire hope in all that we do that's the goal and today is about building community right Amen. Yeah. so we're going to have just a fun conversation thank you guys so much for being here and being a part of this and taking
3: time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us yes thank you so much Happy for having us on yeah. we're really excited to be here today
2: Awesome. Hey, real quick before we get too far into it, make sure you check out Purpose Driven Homestead on Instagram, YouTube and all of their social media platforms. They are all over out there, so yeah, if you're just- wanting to find out more about them, jump over there and check them out.
1: Yeah, killing yeah. it. Our little plug, animal. our little
2: plug for for YouTube right here, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You and everyone has to start somewhere in this journey and you guys are killing it on Instagram with a huge following and excellent top-notch videos on there. And uh, I know it'll carry over to YouTube for you guys as well. So if someone is just, you know, meeting you guys for the first time, can you give us a quick, just intro who you are, what you're doing um, and Hmm. what life looks like for you. You guys have a family. Tell us about all of those things.
3: Yes, absolutely. We're uh, Patrick and Amanda, and we are from Purpose Driven Homestead, and we have four children aging from nine to three, and we are backyard homesteaders. So that is what we absolutely love to do. We don't have a huge space, but we work with what we have. His motto is...
0: Do what you can with what you have, right?
3: So uh, definitely, we're trying to work with every inch of space that we have here in our backyard homestead. And we love sharing with others how they can do the same. Love. I think in a
0: lot of ways, it's it's kind of helped because we see so many people, we talk to so many people, You know, I still have a town job, right? So as part of what I do, uh, I, I often talk with people and there's, I'm surprised by how many people actually want to do this. They're like, but we have no idea where to start. Like, I don't yeah. know what to do. I'm sitting in a subdivision or I'm sitting here, I'm sitting there, right? I've never grown a tomato, I've never done anything. Uh, and so we've kind of found this as a calling for us, that it's a way for us to help people who have small spaces, right? You know, whether it's a back porch, a back patio, a backyard or a back 40, right? It's it's your opportunity to do with, you know, something with what you have. Awesome. That's awesome.
1: That is, um, this is an important message because I, we know, and I think you guys might agree, you can chime in um, that uh, YouTube which is awesome, it's a wonderful platform, but there's a lot of homesteaders on there that have all the property, that have all the space, right? And they have all the tools and all of the equipment. And from our experience, a lot of the people that are a part of the Hartway Farms family anyway, are either back backyard homesteaders, they live in apartments, they live in cities, they live in, you know, suburbia. Mm -hmm. And so many times, you know, if I'm talking, if we're, we can maybe talk about stocking up later, because I (laughs) think you guys maybe have that in (laughs) you, you know, after seeing all your Instagram, but um, people who are trying to uh, be prepared, resilient, stock up these things, uh, they, they struggle, they struggle with how to do that on a, When you're stuck in stuck in a small space or choose a small space yeah where where do i
2: start or how do i go about doing this or how do you guys find a space like all these questions start swirling around and um you know we just got done talking about that a while back though is you know it's really important like you just prefaced is to start where you're at to grow where you're planted and to just get involved and do something and that will like kind of get the juices marinating to to move forward in a different way
1: so that takes us to the next question what what prompted you guys to kind of start where you were at? Mm-hmm. What, When did it all start for you guys?
0: Uh, well, now that's an interesting one. So uh, <laughs> it goes back a ways, right? So you can kind of go back in time, like in the way back machine. So when we first got married, we were actually living in Atlanta at the time. And I think at the time, so I grew up on a farm, so kind of a small <laughs> farm in, in the sense that it was a crop farm. But by the time I came around, uh, I was pretty far behind my brother and sister. And so uh, for me, the farm had already been kind of turned over into one of these, uh, what you would think of as a ten- someone tending the farm is the term that they would use uh, in the South, right? But we have a larger farmer who was tending our property as part of you know many properties because you really can't make any money in farming that way without having a large property, right? So I kind of grew up on a farm, but in a way that was a little different. I do remember though seeing like my grandparents had hogs and they had you know, a lot of things that they did that were more what I would call traditional methods, right? Things that we want to get back to. And so when we first got married, we raised this, it was this one super pathetic looking, um, you know, plot, it was in the backyard, right? It was really, really tiny and uh it was this one little area that i had made some stones up we had like less than i think it was an eighth of an acre it was the house and then just some tiny little That's yard tiny. around it yeah it was so tiny and i could mow it with a battery-powered mower in like <laughs> I don't know, 15 minutes easy and so it was so small but there was this little spot at the very back that where it sloped down and i created this little. Uh, build up bed and we started uh, kind of farming there if you want to call it there. And I was like, I want to give you some fresh tomatoes. I want to give you some stuff, you know? And then we learned that the subdivision that we had gone under, right? So the developer had kind of gone under uh, while it was being built. And so there's a Mm -hmm. whole lot of these just vacant lots that had grown up over the last few years, kind of during the, the housing crisis. And we discovered that the plot right beside us had blackberries, wild blackberries just covered in them and so we donned our you know our little protective gear and went out there and we were picking blackberries and i always kind of remember the story she and i kind of laugh about it but i went out there and i remember picking blackberries and i'm going do you think these are poisonous like i'd never picked blackberries before in the wild we just didn't have them where i lived in north carolina and so i was like these look like blackberries i remember calling my dad at the time saying hey do you think these are blackberries he's like do they look like blackberries? If they are, then they're probably edible, right? So it kind of started there and, uh, you know, it kind of progressed uh, a little bit, I think, as the years, and we've moved a couple of times. I know we, we went to Illinois. We, I know you had kind of a an experience there when we were in Illinois. I don't know if you want to share that or not.
3: <laughs> well, first <laughs> off, the blackberries definitely gave us, you know, that taste of that homegrown, you know, kind of uh, fresh taste to your food, right? So in Illinois, we, grew some what we thought looked absolutely beautiful carrots in our garden and they we were so excited about them and uh we finally harvest them we you know took pictures with them because we were so super excited about it and stuff. And we brought them in and I cooked them up. And Actually, we ate some raw, too, right? It's
0: probably important to note that she was seven and a half months pregnant at this point. <laughs> so, you know, she's out there working with me in the garden, you know, and she's you know trying to get her, like, around and we're taking pictures and she's like holding the carrots up. But yeah, it's uh...
3: yes. And <laughs> being pregnant, I was like, OK, this these carrots are going to be amazing. I really wanted them like I was craving them and we tasted them and it was such a letdown uh,
0: they
3: were absolutely oh, no. horrible. They,
0: they tasted so bad and we were kind of later on we were like what happened and we figured out that we had dumped some ashes out in the area and we didn't understand at that point we are new to gardening right we didn't understand well root vegetables are in the soil so they take on the taste of the soil yeah. that yeah. they're in right and so we had put ashes out out there that well, made these you know, everything that grew above the ground was great, but everything below the ground was horrible. So we just tossed them all, they were beautiful carrots, but they were inedible. So it's just, you have to learn through experience. And that's kind of what the last 10 years has really been teaching us.
3: It helps us to understand that we need to put forth the effort in, in putting planting those seeds and harvesting them and, and taking care of your plants, but also, you know, the 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 learning from it. We're all we all feel at something when we're first starting in gardening and uh, that was our experience. But it helped us to see, okay, what did we do wrong? What happened here? You know, so just doing it and the jumping in is totally what we you know, tell people to do, just yeah. get out and do it. You know, I'm we a, fail, don't
2: be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to, uh, to learn from those mistakes and, and start where you're at. Right. Just jumping and get going. And, and if you make mistakes along the way, it's no big deal. I, Absolutely, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a huge Zig
0: Ziglar fan. Right. So I just, I yeah. think Zig Ziglar is just a, he was a great motivator, I think, but he had a phrase that he used quite often is you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to be great. And I just love that because it doesn't matter whether you're homesteading or in your career or whatever, everything you have to start, just get out there and do it, right? Uh, If you wanna be great one day, you gotta start. And Mm -hmm. sometimes small beginnings are where it all begins.
2: So you
1: guys started in that empty lot next to you the little garden plot at your house
2: with the bad carrots
1: with the bad carrots (laughs) that's okay we've grown watermelon that tasted awful and we were so sad because we we protected we babied we tried to make them and you know we're in illinois and so you know it's not like we're getting that nice warm sun all the time and all of that down south but um we were like oh forget it we're not growing (laughs) watermelons anymore we tried and tried and tried and we just (laughs) eventually said okay maybe we'll you know emphasize cool weather crops whatever so um so that's where you started give us a picture of what your backyard homestead looks like right now
0: so i think um we've graduated obviously um, not just in space because we still have a pretty small space that we work in so the space is generally it's just a little sliver in our backyard and then we have a side yard that we work with and that's all we have so it's probably about a quarter of an acre or so that we can grow and maybe a little bit greater than that but not much but in that space now over the last few years and the pandemic really I think helped us in a lot of ways because it pushed us to even expand so our garden literally doubled in size um, during that time so it's it's a pretty big plot for what most people consider to take care of but we now have quail Chickens, we, ra- we raise meat chickens in our backyard. So we have a mobile tractor that we use for our meat chickens. <laughs> we have quail, we have rabbits, um, we, we, we have laying hens that we get eggs from. So we have a mobile chicken coop that we use as well that we made. Uh, and then we've got the whole garden. And I'd say she's probably, because I have that town job, she wants on doing a lot of the gardening, which I'm always extremely grateful for she's a, she's probably the hardest working person i know annie i know you're a hard worker too but she's the I hardest working person i know <laughs> like she does not sit down she's always going but i'm grateful for what she does for our family and i mean you've raised a ton of stuff out in the garden
3: yes and and i can't take all the credit because our children help a tremendous amount and that is oh homeschooling it. Is- offers such an opportunity to teach them outside. And, you know, these skills in the garden, they're right with me, you know, weeding the garden and harvesting everything, planting and stuff. So I definitely can't take all the credit. They, they help me a tremendous amount. So,
2: so you piqued my interest real quick there. And I think that there might be some other people that picked up on it is, what is this mobile quail? We, we hear about mobile chicken coops and mobile chicken pens and different things like that for pastured poultry. Um, but what does this mobile quail coop look like? What is it? What's what's that all about? Well, it's smaller, right?
3: It's smaller. It's definitely smaller. It uh, it's so it's great for somebody that has a very small backyard homestead that is trying to move them from plot to plot, and so it's not taking a tremendous amount of space. Currently, they're in our garage because they are uh, in a you know it's too cold. Here in the I was gonna
1: ask that, cause they're they're a little bit more sensitive to the cold weather versus like a chicken or right. ducks, of course, ducks love the cold. Um, so uh, yeah, give us a picture of what that looks like, how What's to take the care the dimensions of it, yeah. Quail, Josh so, loves quail me, and he like, really wants to get them. So go ahead.
0: So not a lot of people are familiar with quail and we actually are really big proponents of quail because they're super quiet. And you guys have, I think you guys have chickens and you know, a lot of backyard homesteaders have chickens and they're even the hens right they're kind of loud especially in the morning when they're laying their their eggs right that egg song that everybody likes yeah. to say it's an egg song it really isn't it's just it sounds like a rooster but a quiet version <laughs> um, they're
1: sassy let's just say what let's think, just say I it how it is yeah, they're loud and sassy and we have over 200 chickens laying, yeah. laying hens so Talk about loud. You don't have to tell yeah. it's, <laughs> it's their
2: celebration. Tell. Song is what it is. Yeah. Sure. I got an egg. I, you
0: know, Yes. That's definitely putting a spin, a positive spin on, but it's, you know, they, they still, they make noise, right? They, yeah. they yeah. are not quiet. Well, I think, I think a lot of people, when they come in, they're like, Oh, I'm going to get some chickens. They'll be really quiet. Cause I won't have a rooster. And it's right. just not the case. Chickens are still <laughs> loud. The hens are. And so we kind of went through this thing with the quail. If you didn't tell people that the quail are there, you'd never know they were because the hens make no noise and the roosters actually anyone you could keep them in a backyard and we've talked about this on our channel a little bit but you could keep them in a backyard not that I'm saying break the rules right I would never tell anybody to do that but but you could literally keep them in a backyard in a subdivision and the normal person can't tell the difference between a chickadee call and a quail call so that rooster sound is about the the volume and and kind of tenacity of like a chickadee or a bluebird, most people can't tell the difference. So it just sounds like a wild bird calling, and they it's not like a chicken call at all. So you can actually have a sustainable quail group, you know, a covey essentially, in there. But the tractors have to be—it's like a foot and six foot, right? Is that that's the the rule, right?
3: Right. It can't be anything where in between because they can fly up and break their neck um so we okay. keep ours because we're trying to keep them in our backyard and kind of you know um away f- from the neighbors and it's not so kind of in your face we do the one foot in our tractors so okay. it's really low to the ground and it has a little handle we just pull it
2: and what are the dimensions on it like it's, it's how like how how long by how so, wide?
0: uh i do a so foot tall what were the dimensions It four yes. feet i think it's four feet wide yes. and then six feet long the, okay, this, right. yeah it was four by six uh okay. we've made a couple of gens so we got like a gen one and a gen two the first one we got really fancy with and <laughs> we so it was the same dimension height wise and you know length and width but we decided to put plywood on there in the middle so that they'd have a place to kind of get out of the weather i even took the time with a jigsaw you know to cut a little oval shaped hole for them to go in and out of it's, it's impossible to move. It's so heavy, even with okay. wheels, it's just, it added so much weight. So the next gen, we just put in some, uh, you know, kind of a floor in one space open is a much better uh, layout, but I'm blown away. So as we move it through our yard, I'm blown away by how green the grass is, even yeah. from quail as they come behind. Right. And they will eat up to 40% of what they eat. And you know, like their daily intake, they'll eat up to 40% of that just from grazing in there. So you kind of awesome. leave all the good stuff you know, from the, the manure that the quail leave. And also yeah. they're picking out bugs and that kind of stuff. And it's leaving everything in a, in a better spot. They eat a lot of like seeds and stuff that chickens will often leave behind. The quail will actually pick those because they're at the height where they can see them. So like grass seed in your yard, as that's starting to sprout up, they'll pick that right off and eat it. Uh, and it can cover up to 40% of their feed, which is great. Okay
2: awesome so tip number one is is start where you're at and and grow where you're planted or start off with what you have right tip number two i hear is that if you want to be a ninja uh poultry raiser in your backyard you need to get the (laughs) quiet quail and get them in a little tractor that you can move around out there so that you can you can really kind of like like you say you're not there's a lot of hoas even that they don't have any rules against quail specifically And if you just go in real stealth and uh, and ninja like, um, you can grab them little quiet um, quail and you can raise your own uh, you know eggs and meat. Then, yeah, exactly. And it's sustainable,
0: Uh, right? That way you're not constantly buying eggs. uh, Which if you don't have a rooster, you get the eggs, but you never once those hens die, you have to go and and get more. uh, Which this is just very sustainable.
3: Okay.
1: Do you guys use them uh, strictly for egg laying, or do you have you processed any out for meat?
3: we process them as well our we we really enjoy them uh in fact we had them for christmas eve dinner so we we enjoy them uh both for eggs and meat so. okay and so
1: there's six in your family how many quail do you need to like make a dinner's worth for you
3: guys we we did six uh okay. our- <laughs> our youngest is three so he won't eat a whole he, one he only by our, so. a
2: part, you know you can't. Yeah, he's,
3: a, he's
1: a half size you know
2: if, if that right so we, i know we're going to get asked what what breed or what variety of quail do you guys uh raise
3: we currently raise Coturnix quail the jumbo Coturnix quail because they're a little bit oh, bigger what? and get a little bit more meat from them their eggs are a little bit bigger as well and then we also just added celadon caturnix quail as well so they're a little bit smaller but they have beautiful eggs they're kind of an aqua blue color and so
0: the the cool part is we've actually found and we were talking to um a few people so we sell a few eggs as well so there's quite the market if you're close enough to a a large city there's quite Mm -hmm. a market in, in a lot of cases with different uh ethnicities people from different parts of the world Quail right. eggs are pretty common and and they're almost the delicacy depending on uh, the cuisine. So we found quite a few people that are interested in buying them and they do sell at a premium in comparison to uh, say a chicken egg, right? A lot of people have chicken eggs, but not very many people are raising Well, I do no,
2: we're we're in a certain time right now that you have to really you have to really uh, raise the price on the chicken eggs now. They're like they're like having a uh, farm gold on the property right now. Well yeah, <laughs> if you can
0: find them, right? That's that's the big <laughs> thing. And you guys have seen all the same videos we have, right? Where people are talking yeah. about the feed problems and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah it's yeah. it's a big deal. Um we actually know a guy um that's why well, I said no guy we we my brother knows a guy that's in the south And I think he told me that that guy sells like 400 dozen a month quail eggs to a restaurant. Uh, And, you know, that's that's a lot of money that you can potentially make if you can find a place that has an interest in them. So. Awesome, awesome.
1: What's one more quail question because yep. I'm curious <laughs> and I know you're always wanting, he's always trying to talk us into getting quail. Like what are the, you know, with chickens, depending on the breed, you know, around how many eggs you're gonna get a year-ish. So on the breeds that you have, what is your average? Do you know how many average eggs they lay about per year?
0: I don't know that we've kind of done the math on how many eggs per, per year, but I will say that they are a little bit more sensitive to light than chickens so they'll typically stop laying earlier and they'll so they'll stop laying earlier in the year right where chickens you can a lot of times you can get them all the way through the winter at least some but the quail ours you know they typically won't lay until the sunlight gets really strong and so we're getting onesie twosies right now from the quail but they'll start really kicking up but they'll they'll start and stop kind of at, at shorter durations than the chickens will so Okay.
1: Well, that's good to know if someone's considering getting it and wanting a, a good food supply to be aware of like maybe the shutdown season being more significant versus a chicken um and maybe learning how to preserve those quail mm-hmm. eggs right. um for the winter so that you can have them um, <laughs> have well, them through you, the
0: winter. You can you know, obviously you can, there are a lot of ways you can do it. We water glass and uh, you know people pickle eggs and there's lots of ways that you can preserve them, but we've found that you know we don't it doesn't take as many quail when you're eating just regular quail because it's like a complete protein it's a different you actually feel fuller when you eat quail than if you do if you eat chicken which was kind of a nuanced thing to us we didn't really understand that until we started raising them but um i will say this with the quail eggs the cool part though is uh when you see these guys you know raising these quail and and our kids go out there and and I, i love the fact that when she they're in the garage when she's locking up at night or if i'm locking up she'll say did you say goodnight to the fluff nuggets like like, (laughs) like, they're the cutest
2: things in the world they're so so
3: cute (laughs) we enjoy watching them they're just so cute
2: they're very cool they seem like they're pretty peaceful like they're quiet they produce like they produce for you i don't know there's because
1: meat birds aren't cute no
2: they're ugly you know
1: they're kind of ugly at least cornish right yeah
0: they're not attractive i i talked about this on one of our videos but I, when I first saw people raising Cornish Cross before we started raising them, I used to think, man, these people are mistreating their chickens. They're missing feathers and all <laughs> kinds of stuff until I figured out that's just the nature of the Cornish Cross. They and, just
2: get ugly. They know? are They're up, ugly. And, and they
0: get to that <laughs> ugly, so ugly stage really
2: fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that?
1: that's why, you know, they get the reputation for being the little uh, dinosaurs or whatever.
2: So walk Frank me through this thunder. journey real quick. You guys started off with the, with the, the uh side yard stuff you've got you've got the backyard you've got the quail going you've got all these different things going in your backyard you've learned to maximize your space which i love that there's so many people out there that have truly learned how to maximize their space they're they're growing really really dense and they're growing really aggressively and their the results are awesome and that's where like i want to throw out the encouragement like no matter where you are um i just had someone call me the other day actually from down south and they're like oh we want to get this huge high tunnel and start off doing this, you know, this high tunnel farming stuff. And and I said, well, have you ever done any growing at all or any high tunnel growth? And and it was like just just encouraging people to start off small where you're at and master a like get really dense in a small space and then and then kind of scale up from there so that you get the you get your skis underneath you, you get confident. So what is your you you've got this dense growing on right now? What is your goal um, moving forward? You mentioned that you still uh, work a city job um is a town town job job. there you go (laughs) a town job um and that's you know and it's and it's a very small percentage of homesteaders slash farmers who are self-supported from farming alone um i think it's down in like the like less than one percentile um of actual full-time farmers that are 100% sustained from the farm itself and then you get um about two to three percent of them that are actually mostly sustained by that um but what's your goal moving forward? Do you guys have any aspirations to uh, expand, to move, to grow? Yeah, we, we do. So
0: we uh, we've we've got kind of a plan in our mind, right? That we're trying to implement. And so we we still have the town job for a while, but our goal is we want to move into a space where we can start supporting ourselves in in growing. So. That would involve, and we've already, you know, we've started looking, obviously, property is not very easy to find these days, but Mm -hmm. um, we want to find a bigger property. We don't want to lose our roots, though, in kind of this small backyard homesteading space, but we want to be able to go bigger. Our idea is that we want to be able to try to feed some of our community, right? Because we really do have a passion around trying to help people see that there's a better way to eat. I mean, we're trying to get healthier. I know I am. My wife's way healthier than I am, but but (laughs) I'm trying to get healthier, and I think it starts with the food that you eat, right? So... I mean, we've got a long-term goal of getting into a slightly bigger property, a place where we can start and kind of do our own thing and then expand from there. We'd love to be able to offer good quality food to people. And I think everybody talks about that, right? But there's a market for it. And I think if you can find the people that have interest in that, then uh, you know that's a place we'd love to get to and be able to self-sustain. It doesn't take as much, We we found at least, it doesn't take as much when you're feeding yourself from your own garden there's a lot. I mean, sure, you I can't grow aluminum foil, but the, most of the things, <laughs> right? I, I, there's some stuff you're going to have to buy. That's just reality. Right. But yeah. uh, you can really cut down with four kids and the two of us, a six person family. You guys, you know, are eight all in. Uh, and I think you guys also have some other people. You know, I think maybe your parents live close by and stuff. But yeah, you, you know, when you're trying to raise food for that many people, it takes a little bit of space. But that's a huge part of our budget. I mean, food is yeah. is a huge part of our budget. It was a lot bigger before we started raising our own. So.
1: And I think people again think that you need to have all this space to be able to be efficient at growing and that's just not true one of one of my favorite things is when like I'll get I'll see these pictures come up uh, you know occasionally pop up on social media or whatever of people that have turned their front yards into complete garden spaces yeah and like you know and it's always tagged like if we focus more on this versus you know getting rid of dandelions maybe (laughs) you know we'd have a you know a better (laughs) world altogether. and it really is true it's like if we could just just kind of stop thinking that cookie cutter is what looks best and just begin taking advantage of every little space. And I'm sorry, strawberries are beautiful. So if you can, you know, have huge uh, garden beds in your front yard with strawberries growing in a box, it is beautiful as well. It doesn't have to be ugly. (laughs) You know, it can be beautiful. And, um, beneficial and you know all of that at the same time and uh i i don't know it's we just got to change our perspective on kind of what is normal or what should be acceptable out like in neighborhoods and in you know apartments and in all these things you know
3: absolutely we totally agree and when we say we use every square inch of our our property we truly do we we have actually pulled up all of our landscaping around our house and mm. and replaced it with edible landscaping so we have awesome. blueberries we have blackberries we have raspberries and it looks beautiful especially during the you know height of summer everything is like nice and green and and, yep. and we have strawberries on the side of the house like you were saying so really we're trying to show people that it can look beautiful if you have it in a nice garden bed. It's, ex- you know, so.
0: And I think it was, I think it was, uh, you know, we're big fans of Joel Salison, right? I think everybody yep. that is in this yep. kind of space has at least heard of Joel Salison, whether they like him or not. But, you know, Joel <laughs> was on the Joe Rogan podcast a while back, a couple of years ago. And he mentioned the fact that if every family in the United States had mm-hmm. two or three chickens to eat their chicken scraps, it would be, sorry, it's it's one out of three families, I think he said. But if uh, one out of three families had two or three chickens to eat their kitchen scraps, then the egg industry would no longer be needed, right? It would cease to exist. And he also mentioned in his book that if we took all of the the yards in the United States and put them into agriculture, that Mm. it would dwarf like the amount of space actually used by agriculture today, right? It just, it would be immense. Um, So there's just so much can be done if you were to repurpose, but You know, there's a lot of places and a lot of people who don't necessarily see that. But I think more and more people are kind of waking up to the reality of, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. And I don't know what goes in. That's the biggest thing for us. We love the idea of knowing what goes into our food. And if somebody can't grow their own food, knowing us and knowing what we do and how we raise their food, we would love to have a closer connection with people. And we think that's the right way to do it. That's the way forward is people having a connection to the people that grow and raise their food and and i know you guys believe in that as well yeah
1: we do it's it's uh we actually don't buy into the theory personally Mm -hmm. that we have to do everything here um but we do buy into the idea that you know your community build your community (laughs) and you know if someone is doing something really well and they have the space for it maybe let them raise they're grass-fed cattle and we can work together as a team and we can do this and we can you know network and find out who your farmers are and who your community is and i feel like people will get out get burnt out really quickly especially if they have a town job as well yeah um and uh, you know being a mom with kids that are young at home like you can really run yourself ragged if you're trying to do everything like that, in that realm. But if we kind of begin to do some things, the things that we can do in an excellent fashion, and then find other people who are doing that with other things we can, it can be a community. That's how it used to be. You know, you go back to little house on the prairie Mm -hmm. days and not everybody did everything, but they came together as a community and, you know, they brought their eggs and these guys brought this and it all comes together. And so that no one is like losing their minds, stressing out over trying to do everything, you know?
2: And I like that. I like the idea. Like you touched on a little bit there with the Joe Salatin thing is, um, you know, building that we've, we hit on this word a lot, but building that resiliency versus, um, self sustainability, um,
1: self-sufficiency or self-sufficiency too. Yeah.
2: too. yeah. I think that, you know, becoming resilient is building that network, building that community. But on top of that is, um, look at the diversification that happens there with those three, uh, one, you know, three, uh, if there's one out of every three families that are raising chickens across the entire world or country, whatever you want to say, um, you know, if, if one region has a problem, you've got the rest of the region that's offsetting that. So there's so much resiliency and diversification when you don't put all of your eggs in one basket, you know, um, when, you know, when you do rely on that community, when you have the the blacksmith and the lumber mill and, you know, the egg producer and all that stuff. So I, I we, we absolutely enjoy hearing from like-minded families um, that, that understand the value of, you don't have to do 100% of what you're doing, but but find the community around you and build re- those relationships to help bolster the, the areas that you might want to aspire to do better in. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you
0: say that I remember a time, right? I actually do remember a time where when my grandparents were alive, they had, and again, this was in the Southeast, right? So it was, it was very rural, but they had what they call hog killings, right? And so that was where everybody in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. You know, you would go to each every weekend in the, you know, cooler months, right? The colder months of the year, you would go, they would go through the neighborhood and one weekend, one family would have a hog killing and everybody from the neighborhood would come in and they would help. So somebody was doing this and somebody was bringing food, right? So that everybody that was working that day would have food. And then when everybody got done, everybody would go home with a portion of. That so, if you killed three hogs that day, then everybody's family that helped would go home with some. And then next week, when it was your turn to process or you know again have hog killing—that's the term yeah. right <laughs> but, but when it was your turn to process the, the hog next week, you had you had some. Everybody went home, and so it was fresh meat for everybody for months there. And everybody yeah. pitched in and helped, and everybody was good at something, right? Oh, you know, Susie, she's going to always bring her you know potato salad, and you know that like <laughs> it really brought home this concept of community. In a different yeah. way, right? We have to do it virtually in a lot of cases now because some of the people that are like-minded are so spread apart. But yeah. that concept of community is really what we're getting back to.
1: Absolutely, yeah. definitely. And it's really cool, you know, we we said this earlier, but it's really neat to be able to connect with people this way. Um, but one of the reasons that we uh, chose our location of our homestead yeah. and one of the reasons why we chose to open up our a farm to home business here where we live was because we just really value the coming together and the gathering together of the community around us. Yeah. And along with that can be can come challenges, but the positives outweigh the negatives with that. For us to be able to meet people, shake hands with people, talk with people, and they can walk the property and see where their food is coming from, yeah. you know, with us, of course. But they can come and it's mm. hands-on. You're, you know, you're you're hugging the neck of the people that are right there with you um, and hearing their stories and seeing their vision for their homes and families and all of that. Yeah. It's just something that is kind of lost in our current culture a lot of ways. But I think you said this, that it's like coming back. People are understanding that we've gone so far off the spectrum that there's this need to kind of gather everybody together and have that community feel. We will have people call us up, cold call us up, and say, hey, can we come help you process your chickens? (laughs) And that seems so foreign until you realize that people are hungry. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Literally. But people are hungry. I hungry. That was pretty
0: good. I have to give you credit.
1: <laughs> Thank you for that pity laugh. Um, I,
0: I'm are into hungry. dad jokes big time, so you know, listen, that. <laughs> that's funny to me.
1: Mom jokes. Um, For that community, Mm -hmm. for understanding that, like there was something back in the day that people got that they're not getting today, and in when it comes to -to face-to-face communication and hands-on understanding, you know, life and death and the process of all of that, um, and where your food comes from, it's it's something that is uh, coming back because I think we well we can see kind of the current state affairs of our of our nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll just speak for our nation and realizing that we've come so far from what things are supposed to be. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's important to have people like you guys um, and other families willing to say, hey, we'll put in the hard work and offer it to the people around us to kind of help build that community.
3: So that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's so much negativity when it comes to, you know, the pandemic and all the last couple of years. But there's so many positive things that have come out of it and mm-hmm. the community aspect and everyone trying to work together to learn these skills, to dig deep and see, you know, what our grandparents used to do and stuff. It mm-hmm. There's so many positive things that have come out of it as well, bringing people together community is just is is a big thing for us and for you know moving forward right
1: and that's actually a good segue yeah. into um, I, I agree with you. And one of the positives that I that we found through the pandemic was just uh, suddenly there was a bright light, spotlight shining upon the fact that our food system can be very, very tricky. The, yeah,
2: the fragile supply can chain, be very yeah.
1: fragile when it comes to supply chain issues. And if people think that there is security in that, suddenly that light was shining <laughs> on it to say eh, not so much. Right.
3: Yeah. right absolutely so
2: so with um with all this that you guys are doing because you're obviously producing a, a very dense product here and how what what are the key ways what are the the ways that you are um stocking those things up or um preserving those things setting them aside like what is your go-to method? Or do you have a couple methods that you rely on? Because
1: I saw, I just saw, well, at least it came up on my Instagram account. Um, I think you guys were doing tons of chickens and maybe that was a repost, I'm not sure, but like putting up chickens. Um, did, did you say you were freeze drying it or dehydrating it? Now I
3: can't remember.
0: That's a funny story. The,
3: <laughs> that is, a, that was a kind of, Oh, no,
0: oh boy a kind of moment. Into action moment.
3: Yeah. yeah, go ahead and tell us, was it something with your freezer? So we put all we raised all these meat chickens last year during the summer. We've processed them in fall. We have a a couple of freezers in our dining room. <laughs> That's where we keep some of them. Yeah, the sad yeah. part
0: is when you start doing when you start talking to people and you start talking about your free, your freezers and they ask you how many you have and we when you start naming off more than two and when you say you have two in your dining room, people start looking (laughs) at you
3: funny. Let's normalize it though. Feeding families are, is important to us, When you try to to feed your family,
0: you got six people. You have to have a way to store it, right? Right. But
3: anyway, uh, so we have these freezers and my son kind of, our son kind of looked over and he's like, the light's not on, you know, what's going on with the freezer. So we had, um, my mom in town a couple, Uh, a week back and we were spending a lot of time in our dining room which we normally don't and our three-year-old uh probably went over and saw a little dial that was exciting to kind of turn like a
0: lighted dial we (laughs) should do something with that right
3: so anyway the freezer got turned off and we had to spring into action Uh, our oldest kind of helped me pull out all of the chickens and they were halfway thawed so we it was such a blessing uh that you know, they didn't spoil um, and he caught it in time. So anyway, we sprang into action and, you know, cut them all open, cooked them all up. And yes, we have a freeze dryer, which has been wonderful. It's been great, especially during gardening season where you have the canners already being used and your dehydrators being used that freeze dryer, just being able to like put stuff away uh, and preserve it through that as well. It's just been such a blessing to our family to be able to put up a lot of food. But you know, with the freeze dryer, we're able to freeze dry any kind of meat. So we've done it, it, ground it, beef. We've done turkey. How do you
0: use it so cool? I, I think that's just so awesome because it's cooked already. And so she'll just like, I'll come home and and she'll throw some, like the other morning. My, I'm you, my wife is so sweet. I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> um, she is truly my better half. I tell everybody I know that and I truly mean it. Um, but, you know, the other morning I was about to leave for work and she's like, I, I'm like, well, I, what am I going to take to work? And, and she's like, well, I can just make something really quick. And so she literally took a can of freeze dried ground beef. So it's pre-cooked and it's just dry. Right. It's just sitting on the shelf. She pulls it out, opens it up, dumps it in, rehydrates it, throws some noodles in that she cooked and she made homemade uh, like uh like beefaroni or whatever you want to call it right so hamburger helper kind of thing but she did that in a matter of minutes because it was already cooked and sitting on the shelf and she just does it in the mason jarge which it's fantastic it tastes exactly like i mean it sounds like i'm trying to sell it here but it really does (laughs) just like it did we're sold
1: man we're in You know,
0: when you get stuff out of the freezer the taste kind of changes a little bit sometimes yeah um it's not that way at all it tastes exactly the same and you can do full dishes right so she she'll sometimes do soups or she'll do chilies and she'll freeze dry and then put it in bags and it's ready to go
1: i well i have a question about that so like because we don't have a freeze dryer
2: we want one someday. we want one
1: someday i space is like a really hot commodity in our house we're in um we love 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 and so grateful for our home and our and our property but we definitely bought this location because of the property not necessarily because it was a huge house or anything like that so we're in kind of a small space so I'm kind of trying to think of well where do I put this um uh, along with everything but freeze drying so let's say you freeze dry your ground beef like you were making the other day for Patrick so what do you do to do you just put it soak it in water to kind of reconstitute it or like what's the process with that
3: so you can, you can just put it into a bowl. I have my little tea kettle. I warm it up and I put it right in there and it rehydrates perfectly. But for this i just dumped it all into the pot i put a few tomatoes in there and the tomato sauce and some bone broth and it rehydrated it that way so it's seasoning as it's you know being rehydrated so you don't necessarily have to you know sit and wait for it to although it doesn't take very long it probably takes about five minutes to completely rehydrate okay uh and i'm sure it depends on what you're what it is what you're rehydrating right but uh really you have to compensate for the
0: water a little bit right because you're adding water back to it that would normally have it but
3: right but i mean just cooking i was able to cook his his lunch within i don't know five or ten minutes so it really just dump a can of preserved uh tomatoes and some bone broth in there and that We're she makes herself,
0: so she does all yeah. that. That's the cool part. And as I go to this, I go to work and I'm warming, you know, something up in the microwave. And people are like, "What you, what you got there? What you got?" Like, because it smells so good. It's it's amazing. Don't touch it. Yeah, it's mine. Don't touch
1: it. It's like the ultimate fast food, right? What fast food used to be for for families before all the garbage kicked in, right?
2: <laughs> so you guys do the freeze drying, um, and then so real quick, I want to I want to get this fact from you real quick. How many chickens did you raise last year in your space?
0: So we started out with 22 chickens, 23 chickens, sorry. We had 23 chickens. So the hatchery that we worked with, which is great, um, we we got 23 live chicks from them. They all made it. So they usually okay. go give you a little extra. And so yeah. when we got our chickens, they all made it oddly enough. And so we had extras. Uh, we put them out on pasture and we were not paying attention. So we were kind of following the rules. About 10 days, we put them out on pasture and so we lost some to a predator We think it was probably a mink that got in and dug under it Uh, but once they got size on them it wasn't a big deal but anyway we lost a couple of them in those first few days i think we wound up processing uh i think it was 18 i think it was 18 18 chickens uh and we it was our first time doing it so uh we really wanted to see we you know we know about chickens but we hadn't raised meat birds these cornish cross before so we wanted to kind of get into it and our space is so small that we we had planned on doing like this year our goal is we want to raise a series of them, right? So we can raise, we think, very easily in that tractor. You could probably put 80 in there if you had a big enough space to move it. But because we'll right. be repeating on the same space, we don't want to wear it down. So we'll do batches that are smaller but more frequent.
2: Okay okay great great little tip there so uh okay so back in the preservation you do the freeze drying um method to you know put your your products up there is there anything else that is like a go-to way of putting up food well,
3: canning too yeah we definitely I- canning I- we have a dehydrator so we dehydrate stuff um
2: she's got an amazing
0: process she she dehydrates like we okay so i'll be I'm a typical guy. I probably don't eat as many vegetables as I should. Okay. That's, I do like vegetables. I don't mean to imply that, but I don't eat as many as I should. So she has a wonderful way of, especially for if you've got picky kids or picky husbands or, you know, picky family members or whatever, um, which I'm not picky for the record, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, if, sure, if you don't, if you, got, if you got people that don't necessarily love to eat vegetables, she actually will dehydrate uh, uh, kale, uh, collards things like that. And we love collards kind of fresh when you stew them, but, uh, she'll dehydrate a lot of these leafy vegetables like that, kale, Swiss chard, uh, and, and collards. And she'll make She also does the same thing with our our squash and that kind of stuff, but she'll make a powder out of it and it'll be shelf stable. And so she adds that to all of these things, too. So the dehydrator is great. It's funny because you walk in our house during the summer and there's two canners going. There's a dehydrator going and a freeze dryer going all at the same time, right, trying to put away as much as we possibly can. Uh, but I think that's been great because the kids don't even know that they're eating kale, but it's in their red sauce or it's in right. a, you know, a different dish that she's like chili or anything. You can add it and, and it's great. And she uses the the squash, uh, the, the dehydrated squash that that she then grinds into a powder. She'll use that as a thickener for all of our gravies
3: get the veggies in where you can, right? Exactly.
1: And moms have to be strategic and smart. And I've actually trained Julianne. So if she's making, uh, that's our oldest, if she's making supper, she'll be like, our favorite, you know, we, we put away tomato sauce and we don't, um, that's, everyone has a different way of doing it. So I, I, I mean, whatever you guys do is awesome, but we only put away so- tomato sauce, and then we just do that all and then when we're making a specific dish then we'll tweak it into whatever we want we do Um, the same thing because it's easier it's mainstream you can make a huge pot of tomato sauce and can it all up at once and not have to worry about changing. so then okay so we were making like spaghetti pasta sauce and our favorite sauce that we make has uh and we froze a bunch of squash is just you hide squash in it because it creates a nice flavor without the kids knowing that there's squash in there <laughs> and it's like the best thing ever because not only is it easy to grow squash and you can grow a ton of it and that lasts great in a root cellar mm-hmm. it's adding so much good nutrition into your foods that you're hiding it in <laughs> you know and us moms we have to be strategic about that because you gotta make you gotta stretch your food too not only for picky eaters but make it stretch and that's the way to do it with you yeah. know and hide it in there without anyone knowing <laughs> absolutely and it's our favorite sauce so
3: Absolutely. We we get it in in the muffins and the pancakes as well. All of the soup stews, I get it in as much as I possibly can. It is <laughs> great. As a smart, smart move. Okay, so let's uh do you, can I change gears? Sure. To, let's sure.
0: talk
1: hard shift hard shift real <laughs> quick, because it is it does play a part in homesteading. Um, but let's talk about homeschooling real quick. Uh-oh. Um. so first of all, so you guys have Four kids and still pretty young. Um, your oldest is probably getting to the age, and maybe even your older two are getting to the age to where they can become very helpful, um, whether in the kitchen and preservation and gardening, whatever. Um, but with homeschooling, I just, this question is kind of putting you on the spot, so take your time to think about it, but what is like a typical day look like for you guys at home, Amanda? Um, include doing all of the things homeschooling and plus let's say in the heat of like nice weather you know when you're also gardening and stuff what is like a typical day look like for you guys
3: absolutely so we wake up in the morning and they you know have chores that they need to do we you know unload the dishwasher together and and then we sit down and we have breakfast they help out with breakfast sometimes our oldest is you know in there sometimes scrambling eggs and yeah they help me in the kitchen baking and whatever i'm making for breakfast so we sit down and we have a breakfast a lot of the times and we sit down and have all of our group studies together so we have our kind of morning circle time and and then they do some independent studies and it allows me to kind of clean up a little bit more from breakfast if we need some extra cleaning and during the height of uh gardening season that gives me a chance to kind of get my, you know, harvest together, whatever we're preserving for the day. And it just gives me a little bit of time while they're learning and doing all of their kind of math, arithmetic or arithmetic reading kind of stuff um, on their own. And then once they're done with that, we we do that for a few hours. And once they're done with that, we have lunch and we do our preservation. So they are helping me can our our daughter loves doing that with me so they will help you know whatever prep that we need to and then um they're they're in it they're they they have their hands in all of the preservation and i love that because it it definitely teaches them life skills they're getting their you know studies done but then we're for the rest of the day we're in the garden together we're working as a team as i said earlier and so Like I said, I can't, I I wouldn't be able to do all of it without, without my helpers. So, um, that's awesome. Definitely. So that's about, that's most of our day, you know, during, and then they help me with making dinner and kind of cleaning up at the end of the day. So they're, they're in it with, with all of it. We, um. I'm going to. So we're in probably the the
1: next stage of life with ages of our kids um, to where this year I'm graduating two kids from homeschool, um, which is weird. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, but both Juliana and Marie are graduating this year. And um, and my youngest is the age of your oldest ish, yeah. you know, by a year. And I will tell you when you have the blessing of being able to homeschool your kids and you choose as a homeschool parent to involve your kids in what you are doing. The truth is they want to do what you're doing, whether they know it or not even, um, even if they maybe balk at the idea of helping with the dishwasher in the morning, there's something about the connection when mom is there doing it with them. And it's like that team effort and that family unit doing it together. It it fulfills something in those kids that they don't even know that they need, you know? And eventually, and this is the stage of life that I am in. (laughs) Eventually, they can run the show without you, which is amazing. Um, And, and it becomes uh, interesting to where you're like, Hey, guys, can I help? Like, can I help you? Like, can I give me a job? I'm like, Julian, I'll be your sous chef, you know, just tell me what to do. And and it's funny because I'll be like, occasionally I'll have to remind him, and be like, yeah, do you remember when you were three mm-hmm. and we were making banana bread and you, you know, it was a ton of work for mom to help you, you know, like, remember the days I did used to do all this. you know." <laughs> so eventually you'll get to a point to where those four kids are so independent and you can spread out even further and expand even greater than you ever thought that you were going to be able to, you know?
3: Yeah, Absolutely. and their personality, i'm sure shines through each of their projects that they they are involved in absolutely and as they get older it's really cool so
1: like even let's say you guys you know you said the kids help in the garden well eventually you see who thrives in that area and then you'll maybe one of your other children will thrive in the kitchen and then maybe one of your other kids thrive in being out with the animals i mean william our son William is um, almost thirteen. Yeah, he's twelve this year. Though. And this year he took over processing the lambs. I mean, I'm not gonna say a hundred percent because Josh has done a lot of helping on the side, like, but you know, has taken over the lambs by about like almost yeah, I ninety mean, percent of he's, the work. But
2: he's done hundred percent of a lot of them. I mean, he's gone out there and actually, you know, put them down. down and brought them up and skinned them and gutted them and got them all prepped up for the you know the breakdown process. So um but, I mean that's
3: huge
1: it's huge once they kind of get some ownership and you know i'll come across and i'm you guys can probably relate i'll come across maybe families that are like how i could never trust my whatever fill in the blank i won't pigeonhole people but i could never trust my child to handle a weapon or i could never trust my child to (laughs) do this or do that i'm sorry my you know my kids they've been used to going out with their little knife and cutting hay bales and cutting since they were little you know
2: it's just a, and, a utility knife, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. just
1: once you give the kids the responsibility, proper right. responsibility, supervised, proper.
0: supervised responsibility. That's yeah. what proper we talk about a lot.
1: Training, yeah, yeah proper training. Once you train them, be like, yeah, I trust my thirteen-year-old all day. I trust him. To do all of these things because he's been trained to do that and been right. given the freedom to do that it's like empowers them to have some ownership in in the homestead or in the farm or in the home just in general
2: and i think the uh, the other aspect is is I mean, as they grow and develop and um, you like kind of the personality coming out that you alluded to is they might be interested this season in doing this task or that task um but then as they as immature they as they develop and as they kind of find their own little their own little niche um you know in the homeschooling world and the homesteading world and, and this type of stuff you can really adapt to and encourage those things to then start blooming and flowering and and the fruit of that being able to be seen where um you know william this year he might be really interested in the sheep um for the last year or two but we also know that they're you know next year he could be like you know i'm not really into these guys anymore and but that's a life lesson that he's not going to lose. It's like riding a bike; is that he'll he'll be able to reflect back on that and and to draw from the the index cards of information that's built up up there, and uh, and draw on that in the future if need be. And um, I think that's the you know we want to. Everyone talks about exposing your kids to different things and letting them you know mature and grow and all that stuff. But it's a matter of you know we can really give them valuable tools in these trainings and. It's something that they really can go back to and use in the future. It's something that's you know it's valuable, and I I, I don't want to just shotgun the, the the conversation with that, but giving them valuable tools, resources, information, and then letting them kind of launch into the deep on that and make mistakes um, and refine their skills in those areas. You know. Yeah
3: we were just talking this morning, you know, we, we both went to public school and the way we were taught is, you know, through worksheets and sitting down in a class and, and we were just talking about how our, uh, especially our oldest was helping with processing our rabbits and, yeah. you know, that's, that's anatomy, that's a life skill, <laughs> but it's also teaching him, you know, they were, you, you were talking about yeah. the, they were dissecting the heart and, yeah. you know, everything that you learn in a public school setting on a, worksheet. This is a hands-on experience. You don't experience. really
0: learn it. I mean, that's the key. You don't really learn it. Like, you know, our son is out there with a skinning knife, right? And sitting right beside me and he's cutting open the heart and we're yeah. looking at ventricles, right? We're looking at how the heart works. Let's look at the different parts. It's a mini version. Like that hands-on, I mean, let's face it. Most of us when we went to, if you went to public school, the the closest you got to anything like that was dissecting a worm that smelled absolutely horrible, right? It was sitting a yeah. formaldehyde it or something work. like that. Oh and, it, it was, was absolutely it. disgusting. And it turned you off from in, ever wanting right. to do anything like that again, when in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. And I'm not trying to say that when, when you're processing an animal, it smells like flowers blooming. But my point is, yeah. it's not a bad smell and it's not a oh. bad process. And so many people have no concept of it. But yeah. they learn how does the process work? You can hear and you can look at a worksheet and see that the heart pumps, you know, but then you can see it, you can see it, you can actually push on it. You can see how the heart works. You can see how the lungs are situated in the, in the, in the animal's cabinet. Like it's a different lesson. Hands-on makes all the difference in the world. And when you were talking a second ago, we also do things like woodworking with our children, right? So the, the especially the boys, Not there's a problem, right? you know, a daughter, if she wants to do it, she can do it too. But, um, you know, the boys come out and they'll watch me work on the lathe and so our oldest you know he made a spoon for his grandmother and he mm-hmm. he carved it himself right and i helped him a little bit but he mainly did most of it and i think having small skills like that kind of blossom into bigger skills later on right and when he gets a little bit older i'll you know he helps me sometimes on the lathe but he's not quite ready to work on the lathe he's not safe enough to be able to you know get yeah. something spinning that fast but the idea is getting him used to it to your point so that it's not some foreign concept something that should be avoided and is you're afraid of it's something you go yeah. and you work on and you have an appreciation and a respect for but you can just you can make amazing beautiful things out of it right From nature yeah. we cut down a tree on our property an apple tree and we're making rolling pins and all kinds of stuff out of it and that's <laughs> a little piece that goes to anybody we gift one of those to my wife uses it we have pizza Sunday every Sunday night mm-hmm. so uh, you know so Pizza Sunday is a thing here and she uses a rolling pin that we made every time she does pizza Sunday, and it's just a little piece of that of that's a part of our land that's a part of what we have that then goes on with us you know that can last our daughter may take that at some point so yeah uh, it's a pretty amazing thing
1: giving children purpose that is actually valuable um because this whole loss of hope thing among the youth uh is everywhere yeah. um young people just don't really have a sense of purpose and in general i'm not saying everybody but being able to take your kids and give them a purpose mm-hmm. and putting those tools in their hands and just saying do create you know uh, even learning how to work hard is purpose right. you know i love your guys's name uh, the purpose-driven homestead because josh always says this don't be busy but be productive and that's right. like if you're whatever you do whether your kids are learning how to preserve food that they can teach their kids and their kids you know and it just keeps going generational purpose it's like it suddenly it gives them a reason you know uh, well, it, it becomes gives them a, that hope yeah because of self-induced to desire
2: to. too you know Yeah, like they have a desire to do that. Now, it's not just I have to or, you know, whatever there's they actually they actually purpose themselves to go out and, you know, to get get out and do these things and look after these things. And, you know, like I said, back to William or, or, you know, any of the other kids is, you know, they're up and the mundane or the everyday activities, they they've kind of got the understanding that this is part of the the everyday drive to get these things done is that they're. If you want this end result, you have to take care of the little things every day along the process. Marie's our is our chicken girl. She has um, she's our second oldest and she's, our
1: entrepreneur. She oh yeah, any way yeah. to to bring money in? Yeah. <laughs> that's
2: what she. But she, you know, they they all, they all are <laughs> for so, her, for herself. They're so gifted where where they want to be, like where that where their heart is in those things. You know that she's got like I'm going to give a little plug here, but uh, Heartway Art is Grandpa and Marie um, right now that are creating these beautiful pieces of art um oil paintings and watercolor um she's she's got a little business going with making cards with them but it's been so neat to see um this what started off as just a joy of doing it and then it becomes a passion to then be able to find ways to share it with other people and that that adds value to them but it's also adding value to her in return because of her work and effort and You know, she's learning, you know, entrepreneurial skills as far as marketing and supply and demand and price points. And, you know, all these things that are, you know, the only way that you figure those things out is launching into the deep. Letting them
1: them do it. Letting them do it. Just let them do it. You know, if Jesse and Tabitha want to paint rocks and sell them at the farm stand. Go for it. Do it. And and they sell. And that's what's (laughs) funny because people who come onto this property, they see the the little m- micro, you know, entrepreneurs. And yeah. they're like, there's something in that that I appreciate the hard work and the effort. I'll take it, yeah. you know, and it's like, if you, but if you never let your kids do that, then they don't understand, they don't get to capture yeah. the vision for that. I
2: mean, how many, and I'm just gonna brag on it for a second, but how many 15 year olds ha- are investing a thousand dollars of their own money to buy a product that they've created that they're now gonna market and, and have a, a return on investment on that. That's like a really cool, um opportunity to see those things just start to flourish
3: absolutely that's wonderful
2: i think it's amazing you know and go back to
0: homeschool for just two seconds right yeah when you talk about what homeschool means i think some people have this kind of foreign concept but you know i was talking to somebody at work not that long ago and we were having a conversation about homeschool i said they said well how do you teach you know some of those things i said well it's really easy it's part of it's life lessons that kind of turn into lessons and and those are the ones that you keep Right? those are the yeah. ones that stick with you not the worksheet that you do so i told him i said i give you a great example talk about chickens we sell chicken eggs right i said now my son and i went through an example and we did what i called homestead math we yeah. did the homestead math this has been like a year and a half two years ago now but but we were doing homestead math i said if a bag of feed costs this much and we sell eggs for this much how many of these do we have to sell now hold on you have it now you got a base you've got the price of the feed but you gotta, and that's how much you sell. But what about the waterers? What about the feeders, the things that go into that? You also have to count in the, the cost of the chickens. So we're now talking about the supply side and what those costs are, and you're talking about now what you sell it for. How many of those would I need to sell? How would I need to price that in order for us to not just break even, but make money on that? Because I think so many people, and I, you know hopefully this doesn't offend anybody, but I think so many people wound up supporting their homestead life through a town job and I'm not talking about where we haven't made that break but I think some people are like I can never homestead because you just can't make any money at it those people right. I don't a lot of times I don't think they're doing the math on how much would I need to sell eggs for in order to break even or to make a profit is that something I want to do is that something that's worthwhile you know I've got these extra eggs I'm gonna sell them yes but you're not even selling them. You're, you're you're paying them to take the eggs off your hands because right. of what you've got in it you can't run a business like that and I told that person I said what I just explained to you is a master's class in a lot of places for for yeah. finance, right? It's it's mm-hmm. how do you make money? It's the basics of how do you make money. Uh, you know, for a high schooler or for a uh, uh, someone who's in like middle school or even an elementary school, that's like a master's class for them in how to do finance because it means something to them. They can see it, yeah. and so that those arbitrary. Uh, constructs don't aren't something that they're having a hard time understanding. They really get it when it's like, oh wow, okay. Yeah, I don't I don't make any money that way. That's not good, yeah. right? I can't that
2: won't work. Yeah. I want to throw out I want to tail onto that real quick because I think that this is a key lesson that we learned. You
1: are speaking Josh's <laughs> like language yeah. right now. We're talking I, about just valuing your time and and yeah. the energy. Go ahead. Because
2: no well there, there's all those equations that you just brought into it. But then there's there's a couple other things too to think about is, you know, I like to call it what are the person hours that went into actually making that all come about right which comes back to a bigger thing that a lot of people don't like value but they have to value their time their effort and their abilities that went into bringing you that end product to the customer so something i want to touch on real quick because this is something that you guys asked us a question on that we're going to answer back right now is um if you're starting a home business or you're starting a home farm um homesteading type thing and you're going to be selling products from your place don't devalue what you bring to the table and i i say this is you have to charge to make that dream come true and it sounds it sounds like oh my gosh or you know they're just money making a money grab, they're taking advantage of the people um but that is a that is a wrong and that is a corrupted mindset to go into it with because like you said you'll sink your business you're you'll sink your dream uh because you launched into the operation with 19 holes in the boat um and you won't be able to support that operation so set your prices set your your requesting dollar amount um, at the value that you bring to the table because at the end of the day if you don't charge the right dollar amount you're done you're dead in the water and you won't be supplying you'll be you'll be taking care of a bankruptcy and you won't be you know supplying the community with anything beneficial so little tidbit there is you know I learned it from a guy a long time ago is is take a second and don't let emotions get so involved with what your price is set at because it has to be, you have to quantify that and it has to be supporting.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think so many people don't understand the concept behind how food gets to their table, like we were talking about earlier. And so they don't have a realistic valuation to food. Right. I think if, if people were a little closer to their food, they would see, you know, a lot of farmers, not, not a knock on large farmers, I don't mean that at all, but in a lot of cases, a lot of large farmers get subsidies and they have other things, guaranteed pricing uh, that are done by the government and it arbitrarily lowers the price of, mm-hmm. of food. And so we've gotten used to cheap food. And I get it, that's probably not popular to say, but the reality is quality food costs more than low quality food. Yeah. And you know, I don't know of any person around that says a doctor, lawyer, a, uh, you know, a candlestick maker, whatever, shouldn't get paid enough to be able to feed their family and take care mm-hmm. of them. Why should a farmer be any different? Why, why is it that we expect farmers to feed their families on very low incomes as a general rule, especially small farmers, right? Uh, not these large, big ag kind of environments, but the smaller farmers. It seems that we've come to a point where we expect those prices on quality food that you know where it comes from, grass fed, not corn fed, things like that. We expect that to be the same price as what we get from the grocery store. And it's just it's just not the same food. And you shouldn't Mm -hmm. have an expectation it's going to cost the same. And that's okay.
1: Absolutely. And we're willing to pay to go off of what you're saying. We're willing to pay doctors astronomical uh, salaries no offense, we, 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 love we still doctors. love doctors, okay. <laughs> but we created this situation where <clears throat> we're willing to pay doctors and medicine and insurance and all of this, the, the most top dollar salaries and monthly payments and all this, but if we did that on the front end to pay for high quality food and supplement with food that and is good for that us, do? that our yeah. bodies can actually use. And I mean, it would change the system completely. It's a broken system and we've gotten used to imported meats and cheap food from other countries, instead of valuing what we have right in front of us yeah. here in our country. Yeah. And Wouldn't it would be so much better if we, if we them.
0: actually fed ourselves, if, if we spent the money on the food coming in, yeah. As opposed to spending, you know, keep yourself from getting sick from through the fo- food that you eat versus yeah. then paying someone to try to get you back to healthy after you've eaten. This is, I'm preaching, you know, to myself as much as anybody out there, right? Because I think we all have kind of worshiped at that space, right? Where easy food, processed food over the years, we've gotten used to it. But I think once you start kind of breaking it, your eyes kind of get open and you're like, wow. I can't pronounce ninety nine percent of the yep. things that are on the back of this package of X, Y, or Z. Why would I think that's good to
2: eat? Like, oh, yeah, you feel like the mad chemist in the kitchen.
0: Absolutely right. right? And you're looking at this worry going. This is one molecule. I know it's not true, but you're like it's like one or two molecules away from plastic, right? That's kind of the yeah. old adage. I know again, it's not necessarily true, but it's so far removed from actual food, though that is right. true, right? And and good food, good quality food, we. Talk about this all the time you take a a loaf of bread and lay it on the, you know lay it on the table it'll stay good for a month month and a half Mm -hmm. good you take a home-baked loaf of bread and leave it in two days it's it's got yeast and everything else if the yeast and all those bad things don't want to eat the bread that that came from the supermarket why would
2: you
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and in my house bread is gone immediately so we don't (laughs) have to
2: yeah we're (laughs) not afraid of carbs that's for sure
1: so yes but you are right if for some crazy reason it did stick around it would have mold on it in a few days you know that kind of thing Uh, two days maybe even yeah Maybe even two days later. So, but yeah, bread has gone very quickly yeah, in our yeah. house. But it's true, you know, if your food doesn't do what it's supposed to do, like decompose naturally, then something is wrong, you know, and it's just not it even organic bread, like you know, like you were saying, good, even organic bread from the store doesn't do that. Yeah. And that should make us think twice, you know, about about what we're doing and how we're doing it and how is it affecting our kids and You know that's why we started doing everything that we do everything is because is because of our family that's where it started is like how can i give my kids not only the best life the healthiest life the most stable like you know environment what can we do and that was part of the heart behind it and i'm sure that's for you guys as well yeah um on the why behind it but then i think for a for a limited amount of people it goes past just the family unit. And it I hear it as you guys are talking about it, then it moves on to the greater vision of community, and kind of impacting the area around you and making a difference locally with the people that you've been placed around, you know,
0: Yeah, and educating, right? Some of it is about educating people, because a lot of times they simply, they want to know people are hungry for knowledge, good, true knowledge, right? Not just what they hear or somebody they read somewhere somewhere, you know, at some point in their life, but they want true knowledge. And when you start sharing with them, you know, that the average chicken gets seven chlorine baths before it goes into the package that goes to your, you know, into your, your supermarket, they <laughs> they go, what, what do you mean seven chlorine baths? Why would it need yeah. that? And you start talking about how that processing works and it really opens people's eyes to, wow. Okay. I had no idea that that's yeah. what happened to the food I eat. I thought that those, you know, I know people who legitimately thought that chicken comes in the size of, you know, the, you know, chicken nuggets, they're, they're shaped like that. How did they get that? You know, it's they have no concept because we've never been exposed to it. It's not their fault. They've never been yeah. exposed yeah. to a spot where they have to see how their food, where it comes from. It, no, it just shows up in the store,
2: right? Yeah, it's it's in a nice little package with cellophane around it and it's good to go, right? Isn't that how they're found in the wild?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> <Well>, look at it.
0: <laughs> <It's fun laughs> all
2: other <laughs> little cellophane cows running around. How convenient. Yeah. How
1: convenient. A
2: parse up. I got a portion of a cow right here. That's right. So
1: but it's yeah. it's true, and I think giving that um, giving kids that experience to know where the food comes from is probably one of the most valuable lessons we can give them. We have, you know, we have all sorts of people from all kinds of different walks of life show up here at our farm no that mind. we get to talk yeah. to. But some of my favorite conversations are usually older gentlemen um, that are, you know, maybe in their late 70s or 80s, and they're they were raised on farms or you know like not even farms just the ways of how things used to be to Mm -hmm. where it was normal to have chickens in your backyard everybody and it was normal to preserve food it was normal to my grandma Kay tells me these stories about her mom saying, Hey, go, uh, you know, go, go get a chicken for dinner and going out and wringing the <laughs> chicken's neck and coming in and, and bringing it in for dinner. And that was normal. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that I,
2: was fast food,
1: but those stories, <laughs> yeah. you know, people, those gentlemen specifically, I don't know why it is, but these older gentlemen that will come and say, you guys. They'll encourage us. Yeah. Um, They'll be like, this is the way of living. (laughs) This is how every, you know, with their (laughs) gruff voice or whatever. This is how you should raise kids. This is how every kid should be raised. And this is how I grew up. And so that's one of my favorite groups of people. And then the other favorite group of people are usually the ones that were born outside of the United States.
2: And um, first generation immigrants. Yep.
1: First generation that have found us because they are always, they always find us and they always are willing to pay more than we ask. Um, And that's what's interesting to me because they see the value. They know the value. They grew up that way. They usually left this kind of life to come here for one reason or another and miss it and understand. And they they catch the vision of it and they understand the value. So those are some of the. Uh, We love meeting everybody, but two that really stand out in my mind the most, those conversations stick with me and kind of give me motivation on challenging days to be like, okay, there is a reason why we're doing this. There is a reason why we homeschool. There is a reason why we grow our own food and don't lose heart in the midst of that. um on those challenging days which you will i promise i guarantee whoever's watching this and i'm sure you guys can relate there are going to be hard days homeschooling there's going to be hard days homesteading whether you're a backyard homesteader or a 14 acre homesteader or a 100 acre homesteader you're going to have challenges and struggles um but you have to push through those so all
2: right guys well thank you for joining us today uh it's been so fun getting to sit down and talk with purpose-driven homestead Um, and just seeing their hearts, their visions, their dreams for where they're at, where they want to go, how they want to impact their community. Uh, Don't forget to jump over to their social media sites, um, Instagram, YouTube, all those other things, and um, check them out and uh, see their content, what they're doing with their family and their homestead. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Thank you so much
3: for having us.
2: Yeah, we appreciate it.